0: All right, welcome everybody to another episode of ATP. We are here at episode number eight. Today we have an awesome interview with former NFL and Seattle Dragon of the XFL player, LeVon Coleman, also a UW Husky running back. Um, I think he actually holds the record for most yards per carry in a single season pretty cool stuff. Got to know him a little bit better. Really hope you guys enjoy that interview to come. As well, we have segment of the week, which we're going to dive into early today. But before that, we're going to get into some of our sponsors. We're going to start with our presenting sponsor today, ESR Embroidery. ESR has been helpful enough to put together the line of ATP apparel that we are putting together for our growing business. So if you are looking to do the same, if you are looking to make personalized logos for you, your team, or just want some custom swag for yourself, well, come to ESR Embroidery for all your personalized apparel needs. We're talking shirts, hats, hoodies, and more. Built on ingenuitive designs and detailed work, you'll be able to bring the design you've always been looking for alive at ESR. Find them on Instagram at ESR underscore embroidery for personalized inquiries or if you're looking to get some ATP merch yourself or on Etsy for all other work. We're going to go next to Prevolve. Prevolve is a Seattle-based technology startup whose mission is to empower the human body. Using 3D foot scanning and 3D printing, they make custom fit footwear designed for your feet. Man, that is a lot of alliteration at one single time. Custom fit footwear designed for your feet. Anyways, you can finally find that pair of shoes that fit perfectly. Visit the website at www.pre-volve.com. There you can schedule a foot scan, learn more about the story of Prevolve and even download 3D shoe models if you'd like to 3D print them for yourself. Last but not least today, we have Down Dog Athletics. Make sure to check out last episode with their founder, Paul Klingin, as the interview. It's a great one. Honestly, I had a great time speaking to him. I hope that you guys are going to learn a little bit more from him yourself. And also go and check out his business, Down Dog Athletics. Their mission is to make yoga and mental health more accessible, for athletes and everybody else so they can improve their performance. Every yoga sequence is designed to mimic movement patterns seen in the gym and on the field. Every mindset technique is put through the lens of how an athlete sees the world. We believe at Down Dog Athletics that every athlete needs a balance between their light side and their dark side. We are programmed to be dark side dominant, always going going harder and faster but sometimes you need to tap into your light side by slowing down and practicing stillness. When you slow down, you gain more awareness. When you gain more awareness, you smooth out inefficiencies and become faster. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Find out how Down Dog Athletics can help you reach your goals at downdogathletics.com or on Instagram at Athletics. There you can find programs to better help reach your mental and physical goals. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you again for being here today with us to listen to the episode. We, of course, have my co-host, Dorian Fellino, Doro, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, man. Another week down.
0: Yeah, man. It's uh, day number two in quarantine right now, right? Something around that lines.
1: I don't even know if a calendar matters anymore.
0: Yeah. Right. I tell me when it's over. (laughs) I'm going to get to the point where uh, it's going to be prison rules where I'm going to start just like using a spoon to dig lines (laughs) in my wall. (laughs) Not getting that deposit back. No. Well, exactly. Yeah. Be worth it. Worth it. So with that said, we're going to, we're going to just dive right into the segment of the week. Um, Thank you for our listener, Eric, for providing the segment, the segment, And the question specifically that he had was what are sports going to look like or what do you think sports are going to look like without fans, restarting everything without fans? Dorian and I decided to take this a little bit further and talk a little bit about just sports in general and whether you know coming back is a good idea, their pay structure, stuff like that. But we're going to get into that in a bit. Dorian, let's go ahead and talk a little bit. What do you think right away, right now – Sports without fans,
1: go. So I think uh, for the vast majority of us, it, it probably really won't change much, right? Uh, most people aren't attending the games that we're watching. or sitting at home on the couch watching from a TV. Everything I've read so far says that um, they're pretty much planning to try to make it look as not awkward as possible um, yeah. by having artificial noise in the broadcasts. I even read something about them trying to project virtual fans into the stadiums on the broadcast and having Mm -hmm. them react um, to the home team's play, right? So, like, (laughs) if they score a touchdown, they're supposed to be, like, cheering. And, like, they're supposed – I don't know. I don't understand how they're going to do that at all. That seems like a a big thing. But um, So, I think from that standpoint, it's not going to change in a lot of ways for, for most of us. Mm -hmm. I think probably the people that'll have the biggest impact on, I mean, in, in terms of kind of what it's doing for the game would be the players, right? Because the first thing I think about is there's no such thing as home field advantage now, right? Like the Seahawks play at CenturyLink. Um, You know, that place is going to be quiet now. And that what's, what's the home game win streak,
0: you know? I I have absolutely no idea off the top of my head, but point being is that, yeah, Seahawks, have a huge home field advantage at the clink so yeah it, i mean i don't know i get this this vision of my head and i think this is the part that cracks me up the most is i kind of hope they do almost like an ncaa football style crowd where they have like that weird cheesy blob human sh- like <laughs> cheering up and down and like you know jumping when their team just,
1: scores just a graphic doing the wave <laughs> exactly yeah
0: Exactly. I hope they have the wave on repeat at every single MLB game. If they just do...
1: constantly go, yeah. you don't care what your team is. Your fans just do the wave the whole time.
0: Constantly. That's what I would do. Just put it on a loop. See what happens.
1: <laughs> That's the easy way, right? Exactly. Just everybody gets the same wave. People just change the, the colors. There's <laughs> not the colors. a lot of
0: programming necessary in that. You just got to, got to shift the colors a little bit, but yeah, man, you're right. Is that it's going to be, it's going to be so weird for the athletes. And Although I I have read that they're going to try and pump in noise for the NFL, pretty much every other sport that I've seen, it's going to be dead silent and they're just going to do their thing. Although I will say besides just virtual fans, they've decided to do cutout fans in some leagues as well. Like uh, the team, like some German teams and even Korean baseball, we've been seeing this where uh, you can pay or I'm not sure maybe season ticket holders for Korean baseball I haven't really looked into how they've been doing it, but I know for a fact that in the German Bundesliga that's about to come back this Saturday, we're recording this episode right now on Friday. So we'll find out tomorrow that people have been paying to have a cardboard cut out of themselves. And according to one of the clubs, it's only 17 euros, which is just, you know, a little bit under $20 American. So Doro, the real question is how many cardboard cutouts would you have of yourself in the stands? Because I would drop so much money and have like an entire section of me.
1: Well, here would be my number one question, especially being from a place like Seattle. If yeah. it rains on these cardboard cutouts, are they going to replace them? Or do you got to pay for every new one for, you know, every in between? Cause I'm imagining that they're not going in and picking every cardboard cutout in the stadium up after every game. So they've got to just be sitting out. Right. Well, so that's a good question,
0: man. I guess we're going to have to see because they're they they're, gonna, they're probably going to have to go pick them up, right? They can't just leave them there for the full week. Like, some stuff is going to happen. People are going to do some stupid stuff, and they're going to try and get into that stadium, or it's going to rain, the weather is going to do some things. I mean, they can't just leave them
1: there, right? Do you, do you get to pick your seat in these cutouts? You know, is it like I'm the one paying top dollar for that that front row?
0: Who knows? That's a good question. Maybe it's uh, it might be a prorated
1: situation where you're you're paying like a, more. They're bidding war going on? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Every week, everybody's paying for that front row seat to watch themselves on the game. Absolutely, man. So my question <laughs> is,
0: my question is for you: If they decide in the NFL that they're going to do cardboard cutouts at Seahawks games, are you buying one, even if it costs two hundred dollars?
1: No, no way, no. no. I mean, I've gone, in the last five years, I've gone to one Seahawks game, and I'm sure that ticket was like $200. So Probably. if I'm not willing to pay for another ticket, I'm damn sure not paying for a cutout.
0: <laughs> so what's the max that you would pay for a cardboard cutout of yourself at
1: CenturyLink? It's, it's got to depend on the placement. If you're going to have me sitting up in the upper rafters, I'm not paying anything now. If it's if it's a screenshot that we know is going to get captured, like if I'm if I'm on the bench right behind uh, Pete Carroll, yeah, I pay I pay uh, at least seventy five dollars for that.
0: Oh, okay, okay. So seventy five bucks for a pic of you sitting behind Pete Carroll as he chews the shit out of his gum. I like it.
1: Right, because I'm just going to take a picture of it on TV and then I'm going to show my kids in like twenty years and be like <laughs> I was I had season tickets right behind Pete.
0: Look at that. Yeah, I was about to say the only way that you got that cardboard cut out was if you were a season ticket holder right there. And right. Your dad, he was doing his thing.
1: You yeah, know, he's he's playing with the big boys up there.
0: <laughs> exactly. All those multimillionaires and there's Dorian just sitting there. Exactly. So, it sounds like it, it sounds like it's a done deal for the most part that they're going to be doing crowd control for sure. Like I was I was see, I read um from Joe Buck, right? that he was like, it, it, the quote literally says, it's pretty much a done deal. I think whoever is going to be at that control is going to have to really be good at their job and be realistic with how a crowd would react depending on what just happened on the field. Not only that, is they're, they're talking about the actual crowd noise for the away teams that they're going to pump, you know, a la the Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons, right? They're going to pump right. noise into the stadium during the actual game itself when the opposing team or the away team has the uh, the ball, which, I don't know, what do you think of that, man? What do you think of
1: that? Man, I think that could get really crazy really quickly because if you're just generating the noise yourself, it's like, yeah, crank it up like we're at capacity right now and mm-hmm. it's the loudest we can go. You're going to blow out somebody's ears. <laughs> we're going to have some deaf players after we're halfway through the season here.
0: Well, that's kind of an interesting part is like how much noise is going to be reflective. Are they going to – do they have – they obviously have recordings of decibel levels of the stadiums when it gets at its loudest, right, or just in general. Are, are they going to try and mimic that decibel level with pumped-in noise through
1: speakers? You know, I'd, I'd assume pretty quickly. I mean, if it's not already a part of the, the plan for this, that the NFL will have some – Kind of maximum sound that you can do, you know, based maybe oh, based yeah. on your stadium, but like for sure, it's going to become a thing really quickly. Of like, oh yeah, the whole time we were warming up, it just sounded like the stadium was going off.
0: <laughs> it's just people, just
1: <laughs> yeah. We just we turn it on as soon as they enter the building, and it doesn't turn off until later. While they're
0: getting while they're getting all their stuff set up, they're putting their pads on in the locker room. There's right. just crowd noise at max volume the entire time. Just you constantly going. You better believe Jerry Jones would pay out the ass for that to make the Cowboys finally have a really loud crowd. No doubt. (laughs) No doubt. So let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about how I guess sports has been obviously, I mean, it's similar to everybody, right? We've been affected pretty substantially from coronavirus and You know, what we're hearing more and more recently, especially in the MLB, is the pay of players being substantially affected from coronavirus and, you know, having to do these half seasons or, you know, like not even being able to finish out their season. Do you think it's fair that players are losing any type of revenue that they would normally make from a season because they're not playing?
1: You know, that's that's a really interesting one. And, like, honestly, where – where my thinking on it goes is that's a part of the risk of, you know, being in the entertainment industry. Like mm. if, right. If you were in some, if you were somewhere where there were storms or something going on all the time and like you can play in the game, got canceled. Do those players still get paid when, you know, like if there's a, a cancellation, do they get Probably. paid for playing that game? Probably. I mean, that's, you know, you don't expect anything on, on this level in this magnitude to occur where it's, you know, potentially taking out a whole season, but, it's you know, it's entertainment and where you're not you're not having to do that job, right? Uh, mm-hmm. so is it fair? No, but I mean is is COVID fair to anyone and you know how everyone is affected in some way or job? Yeah, I mean, and
0: I, I think a lot of I think a lot of people who whose livelihoods are in the entertainment industry, let's say like actors who are typically on stage, um, et cetera, et cetera, movies that are being pushed off, like they're clearly ha- there's a huge effect on that industry in general. Um, I mean, we're not even starting to touch on the fact that so many other people's lives have been affected financially from COVID. So you're right. In that sense, it's, it's like, okay, why, are, why would athletes be the, the difference, right? Why would they be the one case where it does not apply? Um, and I think that's fair. But it seems like there's some leagues that are doing it well and some leagues that are not doing it well. Like I really want to highlight really quickly the MLB because MLB go fuck yourself. That's I'm just going to put it out there. Go fuck yourself. Seriously. Like I'm looking at they're already prorating the players pay based on how many games they're going to be able to play for the season, right? Which okay, that's fair. But now the owners are seeking to add on the already the already prorated pay of the athletes and they're pushing for a 50-50 revenue split, right? To make up for ticket sales loss. And it's like the owners okay, the most wealthy of all of the individuals involved in this league are the ones who are pushing for – Like, I get, I get the reason that they're doing it to a certain extent because they're losing a lot of revenue from ticket sales, which accounted for 4 to $5 billion in the MLB last year. But, like, these players who aren't making a lot, who are counting on this money, are really fighting back against this, which I completely understand. Um, because if they're playing – you know, maybe, maybe they play half their season, right? Maybe they play half their season. And if they're getting already 50% of that taken away, right. Then they're making essentially 25% of the revenue that they put it could have potentially made. And as like, this is in the news recently, the Rays pitcher, Blake Snell went off about it. um, And a few other big MLB names out there threw their hat into the ring as well and supported him with this. Obviously they want to get paid as well but he did make a really good point about just like every time he steps onto the field, especially when they're out of practice for that long, he's going to run the risk of injury. Right. And if that ruins his career and he's still not getting paid, then he's getting put into a really, really difficult position right there.
1: So let me just clarify my last statement. Do I think, do I think it's fair? No, but do I feel bad for athletes knowing what people making minimum wage who can't work right now are making? absolutely not i don't feel bad about it for athletes mm-hmm. but to the point of what you just said i do think i think it is fucked up for the owners to do that i mean it's essentially like if you had a restaurant and you know all those employees couldn't work and you could only open on a limited basis and then the owner came and said hey we're going to uh you know there's tips you're getting we need 50% of that now you know cuz we're we can't fill the restaurant and we need some extra money too yeah. so you know i think i think that is messed up for the owners to do if you know if the players are suffering, you're suffering. Like, everybody's suffering together. We're all, we're all in some way or another getting a little bit fucked.
2: Just
0: say right? it, Dorian. We're all in this together. Just say it, like every other commercial out there.
1: I'm not going to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough.
1: But, you know, I, I do um, completely agree with that, that sentiment from the players there because, you know, they're losing money. The owners are losing money. Why, you know, if you're both missing out on, on an opportunity here, how can you go in their pocket and say, Hey, now, now you've got to kind of help us make up for the loss.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting to see how that has very starkly contrasted with leagues like the NBA, for instance. Right. Um, who, so from what I read through, via Fox business yesterday, it's the first time I've been on Fox for anything for a long time. Uh, <laughs> So apparently the money withheld from players' paychecks will essentially be held in escrow and the NBA will redistribute it based on playing out as many games as they can with any cancellations included, right? If cancellations are necessary, the amount withheld from players will increase, but some players, and this is actually the part that I think is kind of funny and almost a little bit ridiculous players like LeBron James have already been paid in full for the full year. Like he made his like 31.6 million or whatever it
1: was. Boom. Well, and I and I think a part of that too is how players at that level with that kind of sway um, make those deals. I mean, most of that's mm-hmm. no, I want my money up front. Where you know some of the younger guys who uh, really don't don't have the sway of a LeBron James yeah. are like, yeah, just pay me when you can. I, I if you're gonna pay me five million, I don't care if you give it all to me in year four because that's five million dollars.
0: Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, to be fair to the NBA players as well, they're making the most out of any sport in the United States, they're, uh, approaching from what I read, they're approaching $10 million in the 2020, 2021 season, like Jeez. on average per player. Right. And that's just a yearly salary. So the NBA is making like significantly more than a lot of leagues. Whereas like the MLS is trying to just break into the 500,000 mark. Right. Um, I mean, we're not even, we're not even talking about MLS players who are like, who knows what's happening to them. And that just shows how much people just don't, unfortunately, just don't care about the MLS. As I'm sitting here wearing my Sounders jersey, it hasn't even been in the news what's happening to the players in that league. Like, not even a little bit. Have you heard anything?
1: I have not. And, and to be fair, I also don't watch MLS. So. Yeah,
0: exactly. So.
1: It's not It's not the, you know, top echelon of uh, football. So
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, there's, like, I think we're still – there's that power dynamic of – the top four leagues in the United States. That's pretty clear. The NBA, the MLB, the NFL and the NHL. Right. It's pretty clear, but yeah. So I don't know. It's the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, yeah, what you said, it does resonate. It's like, it's hard to feel bad for guys who are getting paid millions of dollars. Right. In any sense. Um, But at the same time, I do resonate with the feeling of they want to get paid for what they deserve or what they feel they deserve. Right. Because these guys have, you know just like any job let's let's take yourself dorian like you have worked yourself to be at the point where you are in your career right um right. and your pay is probably substantially more than any you know just basic low level oh god why am i forgetting project manager <laughs> yeah well i was going to say i'm trying to think of the, the term i lost the term for a second there but anyways um you are you're not making minimum wage Right. Right. So if you were to be taken, if like more money was to be taken away from you and people were to say like, Oh, but it's being taken away from everybody. You'd probably still feel like, no, no, no. I still want to make the money that I feel like I deserve. Right.
1: Right. I mean, and, and to a degree, I think, but you also, it it's just a shitty situation because I do also agree with the fact that you're not playing the games. Now you're not putting your body at risk. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're probably at home working out and making sure you're in shape for when the league resumes, but what is the work that you're doing right now for the team to get right? Yeah. I mean, as a professional athlete, that's kind of the whole, your performance is how you perform on a professional level in that setting. And if you're not mm-hmm. doing that, do you, you're not getting paid to do it. You're, you know, what are the expenses that you're dealing with? You're not traveling. You're not, I don't know. I, I find it hard to feel bad for millionaires. That's just me.
0: Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I, I will say this, um, a little bit of a counter argument is I think the major concern from a lot of the athletes is they're actually relatively concerned. And this is something that I think I was listening to in interview with Kendrick Perkins talking about the NBA coming back recently. And, um, he was talking about the the word around the NBA specifically. I'm going to use them as an example because they might be actually coming back. It sounds like the NHL is still a little wash. Um, NFL is still a decent amount away. MLB, who knows? But the NBA players feel like they're they're very concerned that they're going to injure themselves trying to go back into playing at full speed constantly, right? Uh, right. which it makes sense. Like NBA and basketball in general is a, is a league that has a lot of Achilles injuries, a lot of ACL injuries stuff like that. So if you're putting a lot of players at a much higher risk than they normally would be at for those type of serious injuries and potentially career ending injuries, like, I think that's what the, the feeling of is, is that they're just, they're concerns that they're going to try and expedite the process, put them back onto the court with no fans um, without the proper training, and then potentially get injured and then also not make the money that they feel that they deserve. So there's just – there's that built-up sentiment of, like, this is fucked on multiple accounts,
1: right? Right. I mean, and I, I think that is going to be the bigger issue that's, that we'll see discussed across a bunch of sports um, mm-hmm. because, you know, you have different leagues that are in different places. The NFL, when this started, the NFL was in their off season already, Right. The NBA is in the last leg of the season before the playoffs. The MLB should be halfway through by the, you know, where all these leagues are in different places. So we're kind of, depending on when they actually do start, you know, athletes would already be in different places um, Mm -hmm. physically and mentally just from what time of year we're in. So I think that that becomes a huge thing. And and I do think most leagues are going to try to push this sooner than they should. Mm -hmm. And it's just how do you safely start getting guys to condition How do you, you know, how do you do OTAs if there's no, you
0: know? Yeah, that's, you bring up a great point. Matter of fact, I was just actually going to ask you about that. Like for, let's take the NFL, for instance, right? Like a very, very, very seriously high injury um, sport, right? Is it fair to essentially rob the players of like that preparation time, like OTAs and stuff like that, and then just force them to go out and play one of the most dangerous sports out there without that proper conditioning, without that proper you know, care that they need just because the fans just want it or just the money is going to drive it, right? Do you think that's fair?
1: Well, and I'm I'm kind of under the assumption – I'm kind of looking at this all with the assumption that by, like, September we'll probably have sports going on without fans, right? Mm -hmm. I think if the NFL is going to do something like that, what they'll probably have to do is cancel the preseason and use that whole extra month for conditioning Mm -hmm. and getting these guys – back to the facilities because I don't think the facilities will be open nationwide until probably July, August Yeah, earliest, right? Because what California just said, they're going to be closed until at least July, right?
0: I think it was, actually, I think it was August. I think I heard August.
1: If the league is going to do this fairly and not just, you know, let, that's the other thing you have to look at too, because you have all of these East coast states that are going to be completely. I mean, Florida is wide open. I, I think I read somewhere that, the some official of Florida was telling teams if they couldn't play football in their States to come to Florida and they'll find a place for them to play. Oh so, my God. yeah, I think you just have these, these States all in very different places. And if you're gonna, as the, the NFL do this fairly seeing that you have teams across um, all these different States is that you kind of have to say, okay, we're going to open in August. Everyone can start doing team facility work then, you know we're probably going to get rid of the preseason just to give guys that extra time to get back to it because yeah they're going to try to push it to, to stay on schedule as much as possible but of course. it's just i do yeah. think it's going to be a mess and i would not be surprised at all if we end up seeing a lot more injuries this year than any typical year in sports
0: nah yeah i wouldn't be surprised at all as well and i think well that's the unfortunate part for a lot of these players right but and that's also considering like we we have to remember <laughs> The NFL just voted to extend the,
1: the season, essentially, right? Well, I think that got, that got, I mean, granted that that wasn't going to happen was like until the, next year anyway, yeah. but I think that even got pushed back due to all this shit going on.
0: So, so that's the thing is that I think, I think you're right, is that they should definitely just, they, they should cut out preseason games to a certain extent, right? But that also puts in complications of like, the guys who are trying to make the squad, right? Like, who's going to who's gonna get cut, who's not going to get cut? Um, the dudes who typically use those preseason games to perform so that they can get a roster spot might not have it. I mean, really, like, obviously, this is kind of, like, basically the, the thesis of what we're saying is that COVID has really screwed up sports in so many different ways beyond just us not being able to watch it. And I think the concern that I – can empathize with as far as players go is just like how much is revenue, potential revenue, potential loss of revenue and just fans like just screaming for it, going to push forward stuff to the point where it's just not ready. And you're right. Um, the difference between Washington, the difference between California and Georgia and Florida is huge, right? Like there's, States that are essentially just opening completely up and you know what, I'm just going to, we're going to turn it a little bit as well, Dorian. What do you feel about that? How do you feel about States just essentially just being like, yeah, we're, we're good. Yeah, we're fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, obviously there's a much different feeling um, on the precautions needed before opening back up on the West coast um, than in the South. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's just, politically where where things are at. Yeah. Um, personally, I think it's, you know, I think it's okay to start opening some things back up. Basically from everything I've been reading and hearing, don't know if this is all true. Don't know if it's, you know, BS, but um, essentially the consensus that I'm hearing is that COVID is going to be around now. It's, it's out there. It'll be here next year. It'll be here the year after that. Obviously they're working on vaccines and stuff for it, but it's, it's kind of going to be like the flu now where it's something that just exists. And yeah, absolutely. And it happens. So, you know, I do think at some point we do need to start opening. I, I think that there should definitely be precautions in place though. And, you know, doing slow opens. And I, I really like, you know, I know the state of Oregon has a, a phased out plan where actually today, a majority of the counties in Oregon can start opening up um, smaller businesses, but mm-hmm. um, aren't the three major counties that are, you know, Portland is comprised of are all staying closed. I I believe until July 7th. So I think it's good to do it in phases. You know, I think there are things that can start opening that makes sense. And then I think there are things that we're going to have to wait a little bit longer on and get some more results Mm -hmm. um, before we open up like gyms. I mean, like I just can't Yeah. then if you're trying to safely do it, I can't imagine you go to a place where people are sweating, touching all the same equipment, breathing really heavy, being, a safe place.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, it, it wasn't a safe place for, for hygiene and disease pre coronavirus. It's definitely not going to be afterwards, right? Even if people are going to be much more careful, which thank God, I'm really excited to see how people start treating gyms differently after coronavirus, even with, you know, once we actually get a vaccine, once everything starts to get slowly taken care of, um, it's going to be nice to see how people start treating you know, gyms, hopefully just any public, anything, right. right. Public restrooms, public such and such. Right. Um, but something I want to note because I was, uh, I like to listen to BBC um, world podcast every morning just to get like my news. So apparently Yemen, and I just wanted to double check on this really quickly. Yemen started opening up everything again, just because everything had started to really dip down for them, right? Cases were really low. They were doing a really good job. Everything was I know where great. This
1: story's going. <laughs> and it,
0: they are now currently getting fucked in the ass. Obviously they're getting fucked so hard. And it's just like everybody who's sitting here complaining. Yeah. I, I get, I get what for small business owners, I completely understand the panic and the onset of like, how am I going to be able to feed my family? How am I going to be able to do anything? But clearly we've seen the results of people who try and open up too early. And this is a perfect example. This is, this could be us just like how we overtook Italy when Italy was in their prime. Like there's a very good chance that the U S is going to have that second wave hit and people are going to start dying or getting infected in droves. And especially in places like Florida and Georgia that have opened up so prematurely, in my opinion. Yeah, man, it's just, it's going to be really sad to see all these people's lives being put into compromise just because certain people are, you know, not willing to make sacrifices or even more so that we haven't banded together as like a country, government, like just people and help to support others in certain cases. Like maybe set up a more go for haircut or like any type of salon stuff like that. But like people who are suffering, like we need to take into account both sides of the camp, right? We need to take out, we need to take into account the people who might die from this virus. It's deadly. We need to take into account also the people who are suffering financially. How can we bridge that gap? Something needs to be done. Well, because and, and,
1: and I think like you said, it, it's, it's all about doing this in a safe way, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're trying to minimize um, everyone's risk to getting COVID. And yeah. I think, I mean, at some point, we are going to have to just start opening things up and yeah, of course. seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. But I think opening everything up at once is really giving yourself a can of worms and can't really focus on what you need to fix if everything breaks.
0: Yeah, exactly. 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 If, I think there's no way that I could have be- put it better myself, man. Um, all right, guys. Well, we are going to switch over to the interview now. But with that being said, Dorian and I actually had a conversation. We're going to be trying out something new soon, coming this upcoming week. We're going to start producing some, I, you know what, we're still going to be workshopping the name, but some content on Thursdays. Let's go ahead and take some tallies. We'll let the listeners decide what maybe their names or their favorite names are going to be. Matter of fact, actually, Dorian, Maybe, hold on, don't mute yourself. I can see that. So, tally for the people. What do you think would be the coolest way to go about figuring out the name for our new Thursday segments that we're going to do? Would it be doing like a Sweet 16 bracket style name contest that we like hold on social media?
1: You know, we, we didn't get March Madness this year, so I could use a bracket.
0: We, I was going to say, we could use some brackets. Um, okay. I so, love a good bracket. There we go. It's been decided via Doro. We're going to do a March Madness, well, May Madness style bracket to help decide the name of our new Thursday episodes that we're going to start putting out. We want to make sure that we have more content out there for y'all. These episodes are going to be interview-less, but We figured it'd be a good opportunity for Dorian and I to discuss some more topics and for you all to be able to put in some more input so that you can really get out of these episodes as much as you're looking for. But with that said, we're going to take it to the interview. Thank you all for listening as always. All right. What's going on, everybody? I am cannot believe I've gotten to this point in my podcast already. I have a UW Husky on, a Husky. Before any duck, anybody, I have a Husky on. But with that said, I am so excited to have LaVon Coleman on with me today to talk a little bit about himself, his career, and, you know, a little bit, hopefully a little bit about just like what it's like to be an athlete from his perspective, and, you know, like, we get a lot of views from the outside looking in, a lot of perspectives. I know athletes probably hear all this stuff all the time. But before we go too far into that, LaVon, how you doing, man? How's life?
2: Hey, I'm doing great, now. I can't complain. I'm, uh, you know, I'm out here learning the business world and uh, taking it little by little, being a tycoon in the industry and uh, yep. just trying to make different measurements and moves that most people can't see. So, you know, I'm yeah, doing know. great. Yeah, man.
0: So you're telling me a little bit about that. So you're you're doing financial advising right now, correct? Yeah,
2: yeah. So yeah. I'm doing financial advising over here in uh, the state of Washington, um, in Bellevue, and you know it's just been a blessing, you know, in disguise. And there's so many things that come along with it, but first and foremost for me is just like I know the background that I came from, and I know mm-hmm. that the people around me and my family never had the true understanding of financial freedom, and mm-hmm. so for me to be able to understand that and to fully understand the complexity of it and then be able to give it to my family and then give it to those in need or those who already have been successful who want to leave it for others or those who want to start getting to that point there's just so many different ways um there's so many different ways um to be able to help somebody and i think like especially in today's economy doing today how the world goes it's just mm-hmm. most people consider success and freedom having lambos or benzes and big old Mm -hmm. houses and all this stuff. But dude, if you and your wife make a cool 60,000 a year, that's 120,000 a year on average. You're basically successful at that point. It just matters of how much, you know, what to do with your money. So in the long run, it actually multiplies for you instead of dwindling over time. So I I actually love this field and it it just has so much to do with people and relationships and connections. And that's what I'm all about. So to be able to help a family, you know, to be able to help a man or a dad or a mom, whatever, be Mm -hmm. able to, leave a legacy for their children or be able to, to guide them in the right path is just something I look forward to whenever I talk to a family.
0: That's awesome, man. That's awesome to hear. I think it, it's really cool because I, unlike you, like my parents were very good at investing right away. Mm-hmm. So I actually did not take a lot of their advice initially until it started <laughs> to really affect me financially. And so that's, yeah. that's when I kind of started to build upon itself, man. So it's, I think it's awesome that you're doing that for others because it is such an important aspect of life, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's literally, that's literally life. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, money is the root of all evil, but cash rules everything around me. So yeah, it's it's the life.
0: Yeah. And that's at the end of the day, man, you can't like, you could say that money is the root of all evil, right? A lot of people can say that, but Mm -hmm. in order to live a happy, successful life, you have to have a certain amount of income. You have have to have that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's just it. It comes. It comes over time. That's it. From just learning. So I feel it. Yeah. Yeah, man.
0: So I know you spoke a little bit about your background, but like, I'm actually really curious, man. Like, what pushes you to continue to do this as a career
2: going forward? Like, is this something you just really truly enjoy? I really love the analytics when it comes to stocks. So I plan on okay. getting my CFA because I'm really technical on what a stock is and how it works in the, in the future and the past of what it is and everything of that nature. But I mean, yeah. for the really, for the most part, it's just like at the end of the day, you know, it's I mean, everything I do is for my son, you know, regardless of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where I wake up in the morning, if I feel like going to go work out, if I feel like going to work, if I feel like putting in extra studying, if I feel like looking at the stock margins all day and staring at it until it closes, like everything I do is push for him simply because like, I mean, lately it's just all education that's been coming to me the older and older I get, I started to realize things that were different than what I thought when I was younger. And like mm-hmm. to explain on that, like for the biggest part of time, like obviously when I was in college and when I was in the YFL in high school, it was get to the NFL. So I can give my family everything that, you know, they didn't have yeah. buy them houses, yeah. buy them cars, by my son, whatever he wants. Like, that kind of deal. And it dawned on me, the more and more I kept reading that your parents, as a parent, for me, and this is just my opinion, this is not all parents or whatever it may be, but my dad wasn't the smartest, not the richest, you know, no college degree, whatever case may be. And he didn't give me everything I didn't know, but he taught me things from his circumstances. Mm-hmm. So only, he can only give to me what he knew. You know what I mean? And so for my biggest thing, like, when I, re- like, recollect on that, I just feel like it's not my obligation to give my son everything he doesn't have, but it's to teach him everything I didn't know.
0: So once yeah. he gets to my age,
2: mm-hmm. he'll already know what I didn't at a younger age and be able to prosper better than I did along my own way. And so yeah. I feel like that's that was, like, a really important thing to me, and that's why I go back and thank my dad because it's like, you know, yeah, I didn't have – all the coolest clothes or I had to go buy my own car and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of knowledge that I learned from him that you never gonna learn in school. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there's a lot of things you learn from him in the streets and how he grew up that, that really translate into the business world. I mean, I know this is recording it all, but if you think about how many drug dealers man. are in LA, if they, yeah. <laughs> if they use their drug dealing skills into the business world and manufacturing and pushing items, Mm I mean, you have so many millionaires in this world, dude, that that do that on a daily average and they just don't have the platform to do it. You know what I mean? So it's definitely a lot of things that play into my key factor of being a financial wealth advisor, being able to give back to people and give them that platform to be able to understand how to make their money work for them instead of always, you know, taking trips to Vegas or doing different things, which I'm not saying, you know, don't enjoy your life. Yeah, of course. course. think Think about the long run so that way when you're 40, or 50, you're taking those trips that you want to take instead of sitting at home working all day, whatever the case may be. So there's a lot of things that go into it, but that's definitely a main mixed bubble of why I continue to do as I do.
0: Absolutely, man. And I like that idea because it, like what you're talking about is the, the father figure plays that mentor figure, right? Yeah. Right. So you, you're going to mentor him to be able to be the best man that he can be when he grows up to know how to go about things, not just dishing out everything to him giving it to him yeah right because like I've seen this happen I can probably speak to this myself but there's been plenty of times in my life where I've definitely been handed things and I haven't grasped how to do it and it it left me in a position where I didn't really grow as a human
2: yeah yeah it just left you in this little vulnerable position because it's like you didn't I wouldn't say you didn't earn it but at the same time it's just like you didn't you didn't you didn't go get it yourself. You know what I mean? It was just given to you. So it's like, oh, okay, cool, thanks. But there's no yeah. deeper meaning behind it of, of investigating exactly how I got it. So I feel you on that. Absolutely, man. So
0: out of curiosity, I remember we had a conversation a while back about Chris Peterson and him mm-hmm. as a coach. And just a, as far as like your, your football career, whether college or professional, do you feel like you've taken a lot from what you've learned through that and applied it now to what you're doing currently?
2: um i would say i took a good portion of it there was a lot of good things about chris peterson and just the way he moves and 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 he moves through politics very well okay chris peterson knows how to navigate through a lot of things that most people don't notice until you really pay attention to how he does it and you know i wasn't the best kid in college but i paid attention a lot Mm -hmm. um but i would credit a lot of my a lot of my moral, not more. I mean, a lot of my moral values come from God, but a lot of my values that I learned from college on really came from one of my strength coaches, and his name was Tori Beckton. Okay. Uh, and he was, I mean, he's just a phenomenal dude, man, and, and he's like, I mean, a very well-sophisticated, calming, like, brother that, I mean, this dude hated the N-word. Like, we would run hours because we said it, and we didn't understand why, but now I do as I'm older and I'm wiser I, I start to click everything that he was saying being put together as far as evolving as a species but as as a as a race like there's no reason for us to be using that word and there's just so many things that he taught us that he taught me that I stick with and mm-hmm. how to maneuver and then from Chris Peterson I learned how to maneuver through different things and from my advisor Pamela Robenau, I I learned how to Truly, play the politics and and learn different ways to maneuver through businesses or social classes or people. And then from Holly Barker, I just learned that you're supposed to love the onions no matter what. Cause you peel back all the layers. There's something similar about all of us. Yeah. So yeah. I and mean, there's so many things I learned from the Chris Peterson era, and I just keep them with me every day. And and, and the program he has about being built for life is true. I mean, mm-hmm. I truly believe in and and JG and Hubert and Coach Lake, they're all doing a great job in continuing and even improving and building off of the platform that was built there during his tenure. So I yeah. definitely credit that entire, my entire 2013 to 2017 time there was full of growth and knowledge in that area. That's awesome, man. And so what degree did you get while you were at
0: University of Washington? Well, I graduated a degree in anthropology. Anthropology. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's all right, yeah. man. I was a history major, so like... Oh, hey. Yeah. Hey,
2: hey. Mine's got to do with people. That's good enough for me. There you go. Like, you know, it's, it's solid in the aspect of understanding, hey, I got a college degree, so it is what it
0: is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And from, I mean, I hate saying this out loud, but University of Washington is a fantastic university, so you get yeah. a degree. Oh, yeah. Up.
2: You can say that That's again, so. Stuff.
0: Yeah. I <laughs> so you like that, huh? You like
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> hey. But then, yeah. I was...
0: I wanted to say congrats as well because I know you just got married the other day.
2: Yeah, 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 man.
0: That's so awesome that you're you're starting your life, man. You got your family, you got everything going. It's just it's cool to see when people are really like. I just I appreciate that mentality of like growth mindset and then being able to apply it into your daily life and then introducing it into your family and continuing on with that, man. So how's how's family life been feeling for you?
2: I know it's pretty new, relatively new. Uh, it's, it, I mean, it's a blessing. I mean, like, you know, I'm I'm married to my best friend. She's going to be with me for life. Like, there's no, there's no secrets. Like, we, we're together all the time. Like, her trust is 1000. Like, there's just so many things that come along with it. And like, the complications of marriage, I feel like come in when like two beings aren't fully transparent with each other, really. Um, mm-hmm. And I just feel like, That's where complications, and and when kids get into the picture, because that's when I feel like complications arise and things of that nature. But I mean, for the most part, for us, we've been in quarantine the entire time while we've been married. So it's just been us together the whole time growing with one another, finding out different traits about each other and, you know, her just being more relaxed every day of understanding, you know, different things are going on and the conversations we have in the future about kids and what to do with houses and different things of that nature. Like it all, Tends to build up, and I, I just I just count my blessings every day with her, dude. Because it's like, you know, I couldn't have found a better partner, and I I, I just yeah. you know credit her every day. Because part of my growth as a man comes from her. You know, like yeah, like the yeah, Bible yeah. says, you know, they're from e, like Adam's rib. Like they're part of us, and they know. You know, most of the time you consider it nagging or annoying, but it's for your growth because it's something they point out to you that others don't have you know they just they don't you know it's it's like that's your best friend She calls you out on your shit like your stuff and lets you know you can cuss don't worry man this is you can uh, cuss you can cuss oh they're like yeah yeah, like you know they call you out on your shit and it's just like you know you appreciate that because it makes you a better person because it's like oh i i couldn't see that because that's not my mo i'm just not paying attention to myself she's watching you at all times so i i consider it a blessing being married bro because it's just it just holds you accountable and it makes me you know every day like right now like i'm mentoring my little brother just Mm because he just had his kid and you know he's about to get into his relationship and things of that nature but it's just like it's easier for me to do that and i see you know i have mentors myself and i watch their families and how they treat their wives and their conversations and i'm in the Mm -hmm. group of conversations that they have about their wives and things of that nature and you just start to sit and learn and understand everything that's happening, and it's just beautiful so i i i I definitely i definitely appreciate her to the maximum without a doubt man
0: so what are, I'm curious, what are some of the things that you've watched from your mentors and their relationships
2: that you've taken yourself? It's really, it's it's keeping God in the center of your relationship. You know, okay. it, as long as you do that, bro, there is no harm. I mean, obviously we're natural born sinners and we're going to send each other a sin against each other more than anybody else in the world, but keeping God in the center of our relationship, it just it just helps with everything. And, like, you know, dudes, we got tendencies, bro. We got tendencies mm-hmm. to stare at butts or get a DM and look at it or, you know, different things that ain't... We got tendencies. And mm-hmm. the thing is, like, keeping God in the center of that it kind of nips those tendencies in the butt because it's, like, not only do you know you're not supposed to be doing that, but you know that he's watching you, holding you accountable for her. And so it just, like... It comes with like communication and understanding of fertility and, uh, you know, we're supposed to lay our lives down for our wives. And no matter how annoying they get or how much sense they don't make or, you know, happy wife, happy life, you know, yeah, even though yeah. they might be wrong in the conversation, you just let them be right. Because it's just our job as men to be the rock and foundation of the family. And so no matter how crazy they are, like, we got to be the same ones because if we're not sane, then the house isn't sane. You know what I mean? It's just like mm-hmm. it, it may not reflect in the moment, but it, it it goes a long way when she can be crazy and you can be chill because it, it just it just reflects off of one another. And so I learned a lot of things from them in in that aspect of just laying your life down for your wife and understanding you know your role in the relationship.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. And I know you spoke about your your father being a figure in your life, pretty important figure, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Is this like as far as mentality when it comes to like relationships when it comes to even like what you were doing with like driving yourself towards being successful in football all that stuff did that build up from like when you were young was that something that was taught from your upbringing it
2: I mean it was taught but for the most part I just watched it you know okay. I like you know I mean the typical family of most in the players you're struggling no matter what or most athletes that become successful you know it's just some type of struggle and you watch your parents go through it but you watch them grow through you watch them grow through it and you watch them go through it with a chin up. You know what I'm saying? My dad never mm-hmm. my dad always had his chin up through any situation, whether he knew he wouldn't be able to feed nobody and we had to walk down to the food pantry or, you know, it, it's there were so many things and factors and things that, you know, I'm not gonna tell most people in the world, but like just watch okay, yeah, dad yeah. – you, I for sure knew it was, he was solid as a rock, bro. Like, never chin up at 24-7, no matter what, well-respected in the hood, well-respected in the city. Everywhere yeah. I went, you know, I knew I was being watched because people respected my dad. And Hell so yeah. everything I did, I knew would come back to him no matter what. So most of the time, I never did any stupid shit. But if I did get caught, I mean, there was no reason to lie because I knew he knew. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it's, there's so many things, but it definitely came from my dad keeping his chin up you know through through the storm no matter what and i just knew like okay if any example i had to follow is definitely the chin up in the face of adversity absolutely man no hell
0: hell yeah dude i like that though i like that idea of like a, res- a respect through the area that carried down through essentially your father's legacy yeah, right? that's, yeah. that's fucking cool man you don't you don't see that as often nowadays, I feel like, especially because yeah. you're correct me if I'm wrong, but you're from LA. Yeah. So, especially in bigger cities, right? Like, yeah. I feel like yeah, it's just
2: there's just so many ways to get lost in the sauce, bro, over there, and yeah. to, to be able to have somebody like that in your life, like a pinnacle, to be able to sit back on and understand that you know this dude is always in your corner. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a real reassurance for sure.
0: So being from LA, dude. I have to ask, what made you go to the University of Washington? Like, why there? My mom
2: was a crybaby. Okay. In all honest, opinion. I couldn't go. I, I don't like hot places, so I wasn't going anywhere, um, anywhere hot. And the University of Washington, I mean, it just the weight of the degree behind it, which I mm-hmm. promised my great-grandmother I would get. So it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, I got the degree. The football program was pretty historical and solid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, I mean, the opportunities that are in Seattle, Washington, are unbelievable compared yeah. to most places or colleges. So there were just yeah. so many factors that played into coming to the University of Washington, bro. Like, it's just like God made sure, no matter where I went, that UW was like my, the place that I felt the most home in. So That's it's fucking de- awesome. Definitely UW, for sure. Yeah,
0: and you're right, dude. In Seattle, you definitely came into Seattle at the right time, too, because
2: it started... Oh, man. Dude, Tesla Ooh. was sharing that $13 a share. Like, bro, Yeah, it was, not, it was nice. So definitely came at the right time, came to the right school, came to the right place, came with the right class of dudes, um, all the class that we came with. Um, we had some senior dudes that were dope, older dudes mm-hmm. that we messed with. So it was just a perfect situation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm personally... Maybe – I'm a fan of you, maybe not the rest of your class, just because I watched them kick the shit out of the Ducks a few times. Oh. So, whew. yeah, exactly. Literally just yeah, – There would never
2: be another whooping going on uh, between Dove and Oregon besides that one, bro. That dude, sounded-
0: you had no fucking clue who I was, but I watched you fuck our shit up 70 to 14 or whatever the hell it was. Boy,
2: we got we got y'all done. We got yeah. y'all done. That was a uh, long time coming, bro. That was 13 years in a row getting beat. We had to tap somebody's ass, bro. It was. <laughs> 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 that was cool. you, you definitely know. did it, though. You definitely did it, man. Yeah, that was the quietest. That was the quietest I've ever seen out in stadium. Oh, so uh, it I was. Yeah, I, I, was I can cool. tell
0: you, I was one of them, man. I was right. one of them. But I have to ask as well, dude. Like, what'd you think of the XFL
2: while you were there? No comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, i to tell you bro about the XFL. I mean like, okay. All right, let me tell you my basis of it. The from what I got when I was there, yeah. My my underlying like writing on it would be that it's if it would have survived outside of this COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. it would have been a way for guys to be able to have a chance to showcase their abilities if they couldn't go to the combine mm-hmm. if they didn't go to the nfl and if they didn't make a practice squad it gave yeah. you a chance it basically gave the national football league a g league yeah you know what i mean yeah and yeah, not yeah. to downplay those guys down there like they're not good enough to be in the league i'm just saying that's what the xfl was and the opportunity yeah. they were going to get to be able to showcase their abilities against other people in the class or ex nfl players and things of that nature it was just such a beautiful organized moment in time for people who wanted to play in the national football league, but just contracts or timing mm-hmm. or position, whatever the case may be your ability to be able to still play ball and make a solid salary of winning or whatever the case may be. So, and mm-hmm. all in all, I think if the XFL would to survived, bro, it would have been beautiful for those dudes.
0: Yeah, man. I'm, I'm hoping for sure that it comes back at some point that I think it, It'd be nice for the NFL to have that, like you said, that G League kind of style, right? Yeah. Where yeah. it's it's those guys who might just be like, you know, they might need a on few more cusp. years to be able to Literally come in. On the cusp. Exactly, exactly on sure. the cusp. And I just, I think it was, it, it's unfortunate because timing-wise, right? Mm-hmm. Like pandemic going on, it makes it tough for anybody to. I mean, there's people losing their jobs all around the place. Dude, there's Seattle has like what going,
2: 8, and
0: something like unemployment
2: that Unemployment so far yeah
0: yeah it's, it's it's the it's the highest amount of unemployment that we've had from my understanding yeah. in rec like since we've statistically looked at it in history
2: yeah but so it's it's real bro but I mean you know <laughs> yeah. all you can do is pray for everybody and hope you know those PPP loans come through and you know everybody just stay strong and stout because yeah you know, there's not much people can do really
0: exactly man but the cool thing is, and this is actually a conversation I've been having with a few people and I want to ask your take on it as well is because you've had so much time and I mean, you're working currently, correct? Are you working? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, but even, even then you've probably had a little bit more downtime at home. Have you been really starting to like analyze different aspects of your life, like focusing on perfecting your craft in certain other ways, or maybe even building up some new hobbies?
2: Well, first, I mean, for me, I, it just come like, me and my wife, we just really get deep into our church, um, okay. like, first. Like, we lead, not lead, but we join a group every Thursday that breaks off into couples, and we just talk about life and talk about God and the sermon that we just heard before and really mm-hmm. break that down with one another, and that's, uh, that's, like, the first thing I've done. Secondly, I've just focused on my craft as far as understanding stocks and the analytics yes. nature of that. Um, and then third, I just focused on being a dad and a great husband, you know, any, any needs that she needs, whether dude, I mean, it could be the simplest thing as far as braiding her hair. Cause I'm gonna have daughters one day, so I might as well know mm-hmm. how to do it. I mean, I'm not tripping. I ain't worried about my masculinity. So,
1: you mm-hmm. know, so it's just
2: like, <laughs> it's just like, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just over here, man. Loving life, loving God, loving my wife. Yeah. Um, you know, I got. A friend that you know is gonna be our best couple friends. They ain't got no choice really, because um, I know <laughs> where they live. So you know, if they don't answer my text, I will just pull up. Um, there you go. No, <laughs> <laughs> nah, outside of that, bro. I mean, yeah. I just been chilling, man. I just, I just count mm-hmm. every day as a blessing because you never know, you know, what life holds for people. And I just take, I just take the most of every moment I have. You know, it, sometimes I become annoying to some people. Sometimes I become annoying to my own wife, but. But I like to live in the moment with them because you just never know. So yeah, man, you're right. You're right. Like like
0: you said yourself, life is a blessing, man. And it's cool that you're just focusing in on what means the most to you. I think that that's an awesome way, especially like people who might be struggling out there. If you're listening to this right now, mentally you're you're having a hard time. I think taking a little bit of advice off of what Levon's been doing. And focusing and owning in on the stuff that you really truly care about and what makes you happy, that's the way to go.
2: Facts. Facts. And and, and not only that, like, I feel like uh, it's big right now, especially just for people to have a community and, like, outreach. You know, just to be able to – if you ain't hit your friend in a while or you ain't seen your boy in a minute or whatever, case just even if bro don't respond or, or they don't respond, just shoot them a text or give them a call because, like mm-hmm. – I mean, you just never know what people are going through. And, and that call or that text could just let them know, well, somebody else is thinking about me, even if I don't feel that. And it's it's just a good way to to let people know that they matter to you or matter to anyone. And I think it's, I think it's beautiful for people to have outreach and to really reach out in community and build that relationship with one another, no matter how small or simple it may be. I mean, dude, yeah. I, I, every time I go to a grocery store, I say what's up to the cashier or to the bag holder or to the person outside doing carts because it's just like, you know why not
1: yeah, yeah it's not gonna hurt
2: me it's not hey it's just a couple breaths of oxygen I can waste for that so you yep, know I'm those ozone layer just closed up so I'm good like you <laughs> know problem so yeah exactly, I just feel like that's, that's definitely a main key yeah dude that's that's kind of why one of the
0: reasons I started this podcast <laughs> dude was just to like create more of a sense of community between a bunch of different people so I'm with yeah. you on that for sure man I'm with you on that yeah for sure. well man. Appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate your time so much. Thank you again. At some point, if you'd like to come on to the show and maybe talk a little bit more about mentality and like stuff that you do consistently to drive oh, yeah. towards your goals, that'd be that'd be really awesome. I think it would be cool to hear a little bit more from somebody who's been successful through a lot of different endeavors. That's about it, man. So, take yeah. it easy, brother. Hey,
2: just let me know about the next episode, bro. I hit you. We'll do. We'll do. All right.